Okay, we're going to begin here on the bottom of Yudzayin Amudbet with the new Perek. What's interesting about the new Perek is that, as Tosfa mentions over here, Rashi actually had this Perek after the next Perek, meaning the third Perek, Mishamei Tol Mutalu Fanav, was actually after the fourth Perek, Tefillat HaShachar. And that's because Tefillat HaShachar deals with the issues of Shemona Esrei. And so Rashi moved this Perek after that because first we dealt with Kriyat Shema, then Shemona Esrei. And then this Mishnah deals with the combination of the two. On the other hand, Tosafot says, and based on your Shami, believes that this parak is in the right place because the previous parak ended off with the Turim, people who do not have to say Kriyachma like the Chatan. And here we move into another parak of others who are exempted from the time of Kriyachma, and therefore he believes that the Prakim are in order. And that's the way we have it in our Gemara. Me, Shemito Mutalifanab. A person, an individual, has a relative, one of the seven relatives that he is required to mourn for that passed away, and now is in front of him. Patur mi Kriyachma, uminat uminat He does not have to say Kriyachma, tfila, and tfilin. There is a machloket here with the girsa, whether the word uminat should be in the Mishnah. The Retosafot thinks that it should be in the Mishnah, Kriyachma, tfila, and tfilin. If you look in the Bach, he eliminates uminat filah from this list, and we'll see because there is mention of it later on the Mishnah, so there wouldn't be a necessity to mention it up front. This individual is patur from these three mitzvot, and now there's an additional line in our Mishnah, which is umikol mitzvot amurot patorah, in all mitzvot that are in the Torah. That phrase or line in the Mishnah, it's a controversy whether it should be found in the Mishnah or not. Many of the Rishonim believe that the Mishnah just says, Mishmei Tol Ufanah Patur Mekriyachma Tefillah and Tefillin, and that's it. Others believe that the word, Umikol Mitzvot Amurot Torah does belong in the Mishnah over here. And obviously that has implications, the halacha, which we'll speak about in a little bit. Yosei HaMitah, Bechidufehem, Bechidufehem. Those that are bearing the coffin or the bed upon which the mate is found, those that exchange them out, and those exchange the others out. You have a number of people, and as Rashi explains here, everybody wants an opportunity to participate in the mitzvah and to carry the mate, and therefore everybody is rushing to get a chance to carry them. So those that will go to carry them first, and then there's the next set, and after that there's a following set. Again here, questions about the gears in the Mishnah. There's some that are in front of the mitah, as Rashi explains, those that have yet to carry the mitah, those that have already carried the mitah. Now the gears that we have according to Rashi is actually Those that have yet to carry the mitah, they are necessary because they have yet to carry the mitah and they're going to be focused on carrying the mitah. Therefore, they are Turim, have the dispensation that's found in our Mishnah. Those that have already carried, even if they are necessary, they're still Chayavim to say, So Rashi has this strange formulation, which is that the Tzorach Behem modifies both sides here. And the Tzorach Behem says that if you're yet to carry the Mitah, if you're necessary, which is almost by definition for the continuation of the procession, then you are patur. And the Torah Bukhem also modifies the Achara Mitah, says despite the fact that you might be necessary, if you're already carried the Mitah, then you have to say, Kriyat Shema. Tosafot says he doesn't think that reads simply into the Mishnah, and therefore he believes the gear should be, should be Etchilifnei Mitah or Achara Mitah. Those that are in front, those that are behind. And then you have a statement, which is, Etch Amitah Tzvichalahem, wherever needed to deal with the mate, they are pturim. Ain't Tzvichalahem, if you don't need them to deal with the mate, then they are chayavin. It's not clear from Tosafot is that latter statement, what is it modifying? From Tosafot it says, sounds like it's modifying both. Whether they are yet to carry the mita or whether they've already carried the mita, the only qualification is whether you're necessary for the mate or not. The Tobina Rabbeinu Yonah say, in a similar vein of to Tosafot, this type of girsa, but they say that et and et is only modifying lifnei amita, the ones that have yet to carry the mate. So anybody who's after the 
mitah, no tour at all, no dispensation whatsoever. Those have yet to carry the mitah, then we have to determine whether they're necessary or not necessary. And that'll be the determination of whether they are pturim or not. So again, the girsa has a question about it. And even if you do change the girsa, it's a question of how to read that when you change the girsa. You come out with three different opinions. If Rashi who suggests that those that have yet to touch mitah who are needed, they are chayavin. Those that are achar mitah, even if they're necessary for the mate, they are chayavin. On the other hand, Tosafot has lifnei mitah, achar mitah being independent of the statement of tzricha and tzricha. The only determination is whether you're necessary or not necessary. Reino Yona narrowed that or modified that to say that the tzricha is only going on those that are in front of the mitah, that have yet touch it. Those that are behind the mitah, it's irrelevant. They are always chayavim. But elu ve'elu pturim minat In both cases, again, whether you have the dispensation or not for Kriyat Shema, in both instances, you're pturim minat And that's why those that don't have the girsa minat in the beginning, because here the Mishnah addresses it head on, which is that they're both pturim from tefillah, from davening Shmonesri. Rashi gives the reason. When it comes to Kriyat Shema and Tefillin, those are dinim minat Torah. But tefillah, the lab del raitohi, it's not a Torah law. Rabdenu Pershu, and my Rebbeim said that's because he has more time in the day. Zman Kriyat is going to pass. Zman Tefillah is not. Says the Mishnah says, Patur, Patur is a dispensation that says not at all. It's not saying to be docheh, to push it off. The dispensation says that you're not going to do it whatsoever. So Rashi explains the difference between Tefillah and Kriyat Shema is being, Kriyat Shema is a Torah obligation. Tefillah Shmonesri is a rabbinic obligation. And so when it comes to the Torah obligation, we try to, as much as possible, have you do it. When it comes to the rabbinic obligation, we waive that obligation altogether. The Tabine Rabbeinu Yonah suggests, on the other hand, the difference here has to do with the duration of the mitzvah. Kriyat Shema can be said in a very short span. We know before we learned whether it's just the first pasuk, the first paragraph that requires kavanah, requires you to stop from walking, as well as the fact that you can do it while you're walking. Shmon Esri requires you to stand still for a long duration, which is not practical in this situation. And therefore, the question of Kriyat Shema can come up because a person can, in the process of being a part of this procession, he can say Kriyat Shema and not forego this mitzvah of Aviyat On the other hand, if you daven Shmon Esri, there's no way that he can be a part of this Aviyat of this procession. And therefore, they gave him a blanket patur. They gave him a dispensation entirely, no matter where he is in the procession. Kavrua the mate. Once they have buried the mate, v'chazru. And now they're on their way back. On the way back, it's already a time of nechama, time when they console, give condolences to the avel. So when they do that, they actually make two lines, two rows of people. And the avelim walk through the middle of that row. And as they walk through, the people wish them hamakominachem etchem betoch shar avleitzion v'yushalayim. They wish them those condolences. So now it says, Omdim Bashura, those that are standing in the Shura, these rows that are Avelim are going to walk through, Hapnimim Turim, those that are on the inside of the row are Patur, Vachitsonim, those on the outside are Chayavim, those that are closer to the Avelim, who have to engage and speak to the Avelim, they are Turim, because they're Asuk by the Mitzvah. Whereas those on the Chitsonim, which are there, they make the numbers greater, but they're not going to engage directly with the Avelim, they are Chayavim. Now the Gemara asks a simple question, which is really going to continue through the top of the next Amud, and then we'll come back and explain, because this has major nafkaminot halacha, which is mutalufanav in. It sounds from here that only if the mate is present in front of him, is there a dispensation for him to be patur mikriyat shema and a tefillin. Sheinu mutalufanav, 
if the mate is not in front of him, meaning it's in some other house, some other city, no, very minhi. We have a question from a brighter, because is that really true? Me, shemito mutal lefanav. Person who has a mate that is right in front of him. Ochel babaitacher. He may not eat in front of the mate. He has to go to another house in order to eat. Remain no baitacher. If he doesn't have another house in which to do this, ochel babait chavero. And he goes over to his friend's house. If he doesn't have a friend's house that he can go to, he puts up some sort of screen or divider, and he eats. If he has nothing to divide with, he turns his face away from the mate, and he eats. Now Rashi says the reason for this is, which is a principle we're going to get to in the Gemara in a little bit. Just like you're making fun of the mate. It's not nice to do something, or a function that the mate can no longer do. So you're eating, but the mate cannot eat. It's an interesting utilization of this principle. We generally only utilize this principle when it comes to mitzvot. When it comes to something, I'm doing a mitzvah, which the mate can no longer do, and therefore it's as if you're poking fun at the mate. Over here, Rashi's talking about something practical like eating. It could be because of the brachot they're involved in eating. That might be the reason. But here it sounds from the right, though, that it's the eating itself that is problematic. And it might simply be just a lack of kavod for the mate, which we'll see has implications. But simply it's inappropriate to eat in front of the mate unless you are compelled to do so. Now, no matter what, he may not lay down and eat the way they did in their day, which is to have couches and lay on their side and to eat in that manner that he may not do. He may not eat meat or drink wine. He does not make a bracha rishona. He does not make a bracha chrona. He does not participate in a single bracha rishonah together. He doesn't participate in mizuman. Similar to our Mishnah, that he is patur from these three mitzvot. And all the mitzvot that are found in the Torah, once again, there's a question in the Rishonim as to whether that belongs in this bright or not. Whether this dispensation is there or not. You have both sides on that. Both we have Rishonim both say it should be here, and Rishonim say not. Shabbat. This happens on Shabbat, where there is a restriction against Aninut and Avelut, then he may eat meat, drink wine, and he says brachot, and he says and he can have a bracha rishonah said with others together, and he can be a participant in Mizuman. He's obligated in all the mitzvot of the Torah. Here everybody agrees that that phrase should be here. Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, and in the Gemara Moed Katan, it just says Rabbi Gamliel Omer, If he's chayav in everything, then he's chayav. So the Gemara says, okay, every, that's what we just said. The Tanakhama just said, you're chayav to do all mitzvot on Shabbat. And now we have Rabbi Gamliel say almost the same thing. What's the nafkamina between the Tanakama and Rabbi Shimon Gamliel or Rabbi Gamliel? That is Tashmish Hamita Ika Benayu. Conjugal relations is the difference between them. This is something we call Davar When it comes to Avelut, there's this distinction. One may not mourn publicly on Shabbat. So anything that is a public display of Avelut is suspended on Shabbat. On the other hand, anything that's a Davar something that's not known to the public, something that is in a, the private domain of the individual, those restrictions still apply on Shabbat, because nobody will know that you're an Avel on Shabbat. One of those items that falls in that category is Tashmish Ta, conjugal relations. Therefore, an Avel, when it comes to Shabbat, he comes to Shul, 
he wears shoes, he eats uh, regular meals, that's because those are all public displays of Avilut. On the other hand, when it comes to conjugal relations, he may not do that on Shabbat because that's something that's in his private domain. Nobody will know whether he's doing it or not. And therefore, the Avilut still applies to that. Over here, we're dealing with Aninut. That's here's a good point to distinguish between the two. Aninut or Onain, which we had discussed previously, is the status of the individual after one of the seven Kruvim, that is Chayav, to mourn for, passes away, but before they are buried. In that period of time, he's known as an Onain. So the Mishbrite over here suggests that there's a similar distinction in Onain. That by Onain, on Shabbat, there's a suspension of Aninut, because Onain, and we'll see in a second, can't do anything with the mate, and therefore he acts in a normal manner on Shabbat. And you see that in the Brayta. The Brayta says all of these dinim with regards to the Onain. And then by Shabbat it says none of them apply. The Machloket between the Tanakhama and Rabbi Gamil, Rabbi Shem Gamil is, does the same distinction between public displays and private displays exist? So we say, according to the Tanakhama, that is the case. Only things that are public displays do we suspend in terms of Aninut. Things that are private, they will still apply even on Shabbat. So therefore, coming to these conjugal relations, the person will not participate in that because he is an one. On the other hand, Rabbi Shemil makes a definitive statement, which is, If you're chayav in these, you're chayav in everything. Everything being, even Tvarim Shibitzina. And therefore, Rabbi Shemil believes that even conjugal relations you can participate in on Shabbat, because there is no Aninut on Shabbat. It's completely, totally and completely suspended for Shabbat. So that's the Machloket. Now the Gemara asks the question. Tani Mihat. Nevertheless it says, Tor mikriyachma, uminat uminat mitzvot The Brayta says that if you're an Onain, you're patur from all of these items. And that is despite the fact here, where the Brayta laid out, if one had to eat and the best way to do that is to leave the mate and go to another house. And even if he's eating in another house, the bride doesn't make that distinction of whether he's in this house, not in this house, with regards to Kriyat Shema and Tfilin. It sounds like that even when he's in his other house eating, he still has dispensation to be patur from Kriyat Shema and Tfilin. So we already had Vim from our Mishnah, that was the first line in the Gemara, that Misha may told Mutalufanav. Only when the mate is in front of him is there an issue. If the mate is not in front of him, then there's no issue. Over here, the brightest seems to suggest that even when the mate is not in front of him, there still is this dispensation. So how do we reconcile between these two? Papa says simply, the latter half of the bright is only modifying that last piece about eating. It gave a number of options about where you can eat. You can eat in another house. You can eat in your friend's house. You can put up a mechitza. The last option was that if you have none of those options... Then you turn your face and you eat. Rapapa says, on that, the rest of the Brayta says, then you're potom and tfilin. Because in that case, you're still in front of the mate. And that's where you have the dispensation. Ravashi disagrees with Rapapa's explanation. Ravashi says that the tour here is modifying every case in the mission. No matter whether you are in front of the mate or not in front of the mate, you have this tour. Why? Because... Anybody who has the obligation to bury the mate, it's as if the mate is in front of him. It doesn't have to be physically in front of you, the mate. It has to be that the obligation to take care of the mate is upon you. 
And that's as if the mate is in front of you because you're dealing with the issues of the mate. So therefore, if it's mutal of the kovro, mutal of anav dami. It's as if it's in front of him. Shneamar, and he brings a proof from Avram Avinu when he's bearing Sarah. It says by Avram Avinu, vayokom Avram miyal pene meito that Avram gets up from his mate, meaning from Sarah, and he goes to speak to the bnei chait. Shneamar veekvara meiti milifanai, and when he's speaking to the bnei chait, he says, "Let me bury my mate, who, which is in front of me." Well, obviously, vayokom if he already left the mate, it's not milifanai. Yet he still calls the mate, meaning Sarah, as being lifanav in front of him. So calls much dummy. The reason is because as long as you have the obligation to bury the mate, it's as if it's in front of you. And we have a proof from the fact, the language that Abraham used, that that is the case. Now the Gemara continues and says mate in Sounds like based on what you're making the distinction now, only if it's your mate is this the case. If you're simply guarding the mate. Then no. Vatanya. Don't we have a brighter that says otherwise? Hamashamerita mate. Afopishenu meto potur mi kriachmao minatfila minatfilinu mikomitsvotamurotvatara. That even though it's not your mate, but you are involved in guarding the mate, patur mi kriachma tfila and filin, you patur, you have a dispensation from all these mitzvot. So we see it's not limited to the person who is one of the seven krovim. It also includes someone who is engaged with the mate. And the brighter continues, Mishamro, Afopishenu Meito. If he's Mishamerit, even if it's not his mate, or Meito, Afopishenu Mishamro. Or if it is his mate, even though he's not physically involved in the guarding, both of those have this dispensation. Meito Mishamro, in, Avamalech, Betak, Rotlo. The Gemara continues and says, well, based on that, the brighter suggests that this dispensation only applies to someone either who is one of the Shiva Krovim, one of the seven relatives that has to deal with the mate, O Mishamro, or he is guarding the mate. But if you walk in the cemetery, that would not be the case. Vatanya, again, the Gemara continues to question. Lo person may not go into a cemetery when he has tefillin on his head. Or he has a sefer Torah, which he is reading from. Tosafot points out it's irrelevant if he has a sefer Torah, even if he's learning Baal Peh. Orally, this problem still exists. And if he does such, it's as if the one who is makes fun of the poor person. It's as if he blasphemes his creator. And the Gemara is obviously playing on Rosh, the poor person. Here doesn't mean literally someone who is in poverty, but someone who is poor who may no longer do something. He's poor from the mitzvot because he's no longer able to accomplish the mitzvot. And so therefore it's the one who pokes fun at the mate. It's as if he blasphemes his creator because he's doing mitzvot which the mate may longer, longer do. So now the Gemara answers, Hatam toch arba amot. Over there, that's within four amot, who the asur. That's where there's a restriction. Chutz arba amot, chayab. If you're outside of the arba amot, you're chayab. The amamar, we have a statement, mate tofes dalet amot l'kriyachma. That a mate incorporates four amot for kriyachma. Hocha chutz l'damet amot nami patur. In the other case, outside of four amot, he's also patur. So now the Gemara answers for all of these problems that we have to draw a distinction between the obligations on the individuals. And that is, the one who is obligated to take care of the mate, the one who is engaged because it's their mate, has a dispensation here, whether they are within the sphere of the mate, the sphere of the mate being four amot, and that's what the Gemara just described here, that the mate's sphere is four amot. Even if he's within that sphere or outside of that sphere, he's still patur. And we'll discuss that in a minute why. But that's why we said before that 
There are these dispensations, even when he's eating in another house, because that's meito. On the other hand, by the case of Mishamro, in a case where he's guarding the mate, or a case when he's in the Betak Barot, he's in the cemetery, there the dispensation to be patur is only if you're in the sphere of the mate. If you're guarding the mate and you're right next to the mate, then you have that patur. If you are in the cemetery and you are walking within for a mot of the mate, then you have that dispensation. Otherwise, if you're outside the sphere of the mate, then you're chayav. Because the only reason you're patur over here is because you're engaged with the mate. Being engaged with the mate, because the also mitzvah potur mina mitzvah, is only when you're within the sphere of the mate. Or, for the issue of loig l'rosh, cherif maseo, making fun of the mate, is only when you're within a sphere. If you're not in a sphere, then you're not making fun of him. You're doing your own thing. On the other hand, for the person who's obligated the mate, there we say he has this patur, this dispensation, no matter what, and no matter where he's found. The question as to why is a machlokatai rishonim, and has far-reaching implications. There are three different ways to formulate the tour here for the person who is meitom mutalifana, where it's his mate. One is to say, and Rashi seems to indicate this, although it's said much more strongly in the Tamidi Reino Yona, and in one of the Lachot, Tarambam also seems to suggest this, which is Afishu Tarud, Bamakshevet Gvurato. He is engaged psychologically in the bearing of his mate. Just like by the Chatan, as Rashi points out, by the Chatan before, even though he was engaged in a mitzvah, that wasn't sufficient to make him patur from Kriyachma. He had to be engaged in a mitzvah and also be tarut. He had to have a psychological investment in this issue that makes it impossible for him to concentrate on Kriyachma. And the same is true here by the person who is obligated to take care of the mate. He is a gabra, he's an individual who cannot bring himself to focus on Kriyachma because of his psychological involvement in the mitzvah. He's not only obligated to take care of the mate, he has a relationship with the mate. And those two together make him patur from Kriyachma because he's an individual who just can't engage in the mitzvah. That's one way to phrase it. The other way to phrase it is that the reason one is patur over here is because they have to take care of the mate. Because they have to take care of the mate, they are an usik mitzvah. Patur min mitzvah. And that bifurcates into two possible explanations. One is because of kvodoshal mate. It's kvodoshal mate that you only deal with the issues of the mate and not something else. The other possibility is the reason that you are patur is because you are literally engaged in taking care of the mate. Because someone has to take care of the mate and since you're the one who's obligated in that, you are patur. Again, osik mitzvah, patur min mitzvah. The nafkamina between those two, as mentioned in the Yerushalmi, is what happens if someone else is taking care of the mate. If someone else is taking care of the mate, if the issue is that you are masao, no say masao as the Yerushalmi calls it, you are engaged in taking care of the mate, then only when you are working on those issues of the mate will you be patur. If you are not working on issues of the mate, then you would no longer have this dispensation. On the other hand, if it's kavoda mate, it's the honor of the mate, then even when you're not directly engaged in issues of the mate, you'd still be patur, because we don't want you to get sidetracked or distracted. And to cover the mate is that you are freed of all other obligations, you are freed of all other issues in order to focus solely on the mate. And that is part of kavoda mate. The first nafkamina between these different reasons is as to whether you can obligate yourself. What happens if you want to do the mitzvah. You are patur, you have this dispensation, yet you still want to do the mitzvah. 
So we actually had this in the Brayta that we brought down before. It says that he's patum elavarech. person who's eating doesn't have to make a bracha, doesn't have to make a mezuman. In all these cases, Rashi says, Eino tzarich levarech. Eino tzarich levarech. Ein tzarich. Ein tzarich. Rashi seems to indicate that you're not obligated to do such. But if you choose to do so, you can do the mitzvah. Rashi says it's an optional dispensation. It's given to you as a tour in case you need it. But if you choose not to take that dispensation, you can obligate yourself in the mitzvah. Tosafot quotes Rashi and says, I don't understand, I don't agree with Rashi. The Yushami is explicit that this dispensation is all-encompassing, overarching. You are a patur and you may not do the mitzvah. You may not make the bracha. So that difference may arise, doesn't have to be, but may arise from their di- from differences in opinion as to why you are patur. Are you patur because you are engaged in taking care of the mate? And that, again, we spoke about either because you're psychologically involved and you no, you don't have the capacity to have the focus, or are you engaged with the mate because of covered a mate? And therefore, which is something that says you must free yourself of all obligations, in that case, you might be patur no matter what. Because the psychological involvement makes you into a person who can't engage. The kavodah mate says you are a person who's not allowed to engage in mitzvot because that is a gum that would be an affront to the mate. So in that case, you're patur and you don't have a choice. You're not allowed to do the mitzvah. On the other hand, if the whole issue is dealing with the mate, that if you're obligated to deal with the mate, then you're patur in the other mitzvah because you're engaged in this mitzvah. But if you were not able to engage with the mate, or you don't have to be engaged with the mate, then you might be able to do the mitzvot, or you may not have a din of onein. So Tosafot favors the patur, meaning here, patur the gamri. When you are patur, you are totally and completely patur. On the hand, Rashi says that when you're patur, it's an optional patur. You are patur, but if you choose to, you can engage in the mitzvah. So here in both those cases, that's when you have a shame onein. When you have a shame onein, then according to Rashi, you have an option to be patur. According to Tosafot, you have an obligation to be patur. Beyond that, Tosafot brings two cases, very interesting cases, where he says you don't even become an onein. We saw before, like Shabbat. When it comes to Shabbat, where you can't engage in the mate, meaning that there's no way you can be engaged with the mate. In those instances, you're chayav and all the mitzvot of Torah because there's nothing you can do for the mate. So those are things, one example, a case where an individual is imprisoned. And that individual is imprisoned, then dies. And now his karov, his relative, wants to go ahead and bury him. But the moshel, the ruler, does not allow him to go in there and bury them. Tosavot suggests over here that he's not an onain. This individual is not an onain because they can't engage in dealing with the mate. Since they can't engage with dealing with the mate, there's no reason that they should have any dispensations. It's not a begam in any way to the mate. He's not psychologically involved. All of these dispensations we had before don't exist because the mate, he can't do anything for. He can't make any difference here. And then he brings an even more extreme case from the Rabbeinu Tam. It amazing it says, The sister of the Rabbeinu Tam died on Shabbat. And then they let him know about his sister's death in another city. He was not living in the same city as his sister. He eats meat and drinks wine. He said, And she has a husband who has to take care of her burial. I'm not a no-name. I'm not a no-name, even though I'm a relative who will be mitabel, who will mourn her. I still don't have a status of onain because someone else is engaged in the mate and taking care of the mate. And then the Tosfot adds, It happened to be that Rabbeinu Tam was in a different city, and therefore he couldn't even engage with the mate. 
But it's suggested by the Tosafot that even if he was in the same city, that he might have been Mekil for that same reason, which is that he was not the one obligated to deal with the mate. Someone else was taking care of the mate. So since someone else was taking care of the mate, there's no reason for him to be an Onain. Onain is correlated with dealing with the mate. If you don't have to deal with it, you're not obligated to deal with the mate, then you are not an Onain. And so therefore, Tosafot suggests over here, these certain times when you are not an Onain, like by Shabbat, where you can't engage with the mate. Right, that's one set of issues to deal with Onain. The other one is what we discussed earlier in the Mishnah, is what the Girsu in the Mishnah is. It says Patur here, are you only Patur from Kriyat Shema Tfilah and Tfilin? Or, Mikola Mitzvot Amorot Paturah, or all Mitzvot in the Torah. So that also is a Machloket Arishonim. There are some that want to suggest that Kriyat Shema Tfilah and Tfilin are the only things that you're Patur from, because they require an extra amount of Kavanah. They require focus, they require concentration, and that's something that the person who is an Onain is not capable of. And therefore, the dispensation is for three, three items because of your unique character. Again, this is formulated in the Rambam. The Rambam brings this din twice. Once in Hilchot Avelut and once in Hilchot Kriyachma. And he formulates it differently in each one. In one of those places, he mentions that the tour is only for Kriyachma, Tfilin, Tfilin. And there it seems to be for this reason of Kavanah, the inability to engage in these mitzvot. But other mitzvot sounds like you would be Chayab. On the other hand, there are other Rishonim, including Tabino Yonah, who bring from many of the Rishonim, that implies to call mitzvot amrot Torah, even if you're not gorased in the Mishnah. We said before it would depend on whether there's the girsa of mikol mitzvot amrot Torah or not. Rabbi Yonah says even if you don't put it in the Mishnah, it's still true. These three mitzvot are used as examples. Why? Because these three mitzvot are extremely important mitzvot. They are something that you would expect to be chayav, even when you're patur from other mitzvot. Fundamentals of the faith, basic things, Kabbalah to Machut Shemaim and Kriyachma, Tfilin's included in that Tfilah, davening before Hashem. These are things that are basics of our practice of religion. And therefore, if you're patur from those, you're certainly patur from everything else. And that's why the Mishnah gives them an example. So there's some that say that these are used as an example because these are the only ones that you're patur for. The others say that these are examples because since they are so chamur, and if you're patur from there, you're patur mikola mitzvah minat amrot v'torah. It's kind of machlokat rishonim as to how far this dispensation goes. And that might have to do with, again, the reason of why you're patur. The reason is that you can't engage in the mitzvah because of where your mind is, or because what else you're doing, then that patur might only apply to mitzvot that require kavanah, like kriyat shema, tefillah, tefillin. On the other hand, if the dispensation is because of your engagement with the mate, and again, that either can be because you're engaged or because of kavanah mate, there the dispensation might apply to all mitzvot at Torah because it's not relevant to the kavanah, it's relevant to the fact that you are obligated in dealing with the mate. And then once again, you will have to deal with to- what Tosafot suggests, which is that the Onain will only be patur then, or be an Onain, when he's engaged with the mate. If he doesn't, he can't be engaged with the mate, either because he's not in the same city, or in jail, or because someone else was taking care of the mate, then in that case, you might have not have that status of Onain, you may not have that tour for Shar Mitzvot. And you could suggest that maybe the two are separated. By Kriyat Shema Tfilin, Tfilin, you're patur no matter what whether you're engaged with the mate or not engaged with the mate because of the psychological impact or the obligation when you're directly involved with the, the psychological impact of this individual is unable to concentrate. On the other hand, the other mitzvot Torah might depend on whether you're engaged or not engaged. If you're engaged with the mate, you're patur. If you're not engaged with the mate, then you would be chayab. So again, you could even parse and separate these two categories and say that Allah is different depending on what the reason is, and it seems to be that's what the Rambam is doing when he quotes the Lacha twice. In one place he includes the 
Shar Mitzvah Torah, in one case he does not. And that might be this difference that the Rambam has as to whether, what the reason is, that the reason, you might have one reason, two reasons, and the reason might affect which mitzvot you are patur from. Okay, now we're going to continue in the Gemara. The Gemara says, Gufa, I want to go back and discuss this bright about Shmirah. Person is watching the mate, even if it's not his mate, he's patur If there are two people guarding the mate, one of them stays within the sphere of the mate and guards him. The other one moves away and does the obligations of and then they switch. And the other one comes back and guards the mate, and the second person leaves and does all of these obligations. If they're coming on a boat, and they go to the other corner and they dive in my benayu. What's an African meaning between Benazai and what the Tanakhama says? Do we worry about mice? The Tanakhama says we do worry about it. And Benazai says we do not worry about it. So the Tanakhama says even on a boat, we worry about the physical protection of the body. And therefore you have to take turns in guarding the body and then the other person moving away and davening. On the other hand, Ben Azai says when you're on a boat, you don't have to worry about the physical condition of the mate because we don't have mice on the boat. They're not going to come. The body is isolated. And therefore both of you can walk away and daven and then return to the mate. What you do see from this Gemara, something that is not well known, is that the Shmirah of the mate really is a guarding of the physical body of the mate to ensure that the mate is protected and taken care of. We really think of, and it might also be true, that there is a spiritual need of the mate to have someone there that accompanies the body and is there together with the body. And therefore we provide Shmirah, the Minhag Yisrael, is to have someone guard the body throughout the night before they are there taken for burial. On the other hand here from the Gemara, it sounds that the Shmirah has to do with the physical needs of the body to protect the body so that nothing should happen to the body, and that it's not a spiritual need of the body, and that obviously today would not have an issue, because today we have refrigeration and the bodies are protected in most instances, and therefore would not require this uh, physical shmirah of the body. Tarabanan. Person who is taking bones from one place to another, should not put them into a large leather sack, and then place them on the donkey, and then ride on top of them. That's disrespect for the mate to ride on top of their bones. If he's fearful because of Nachrim or Listim, Mutar, then he can't do this because there's no other way for him to transport the bones. If he needs to move fast and he has the bones flopping around behind him on the donkey, then he won't be able to move and then he'll be in danger. So in order to allow him to move the bones and yet not put himself in the danger, we allow him to sit on top of the bones. Just like the din applies to bones, the same is true of a Sefer Torah when you're transporting a Sefer Torah. Ahai. On which part of the bright is this going that the Sefer Torah is the same as the bones? Then the ratio of one may not sit on a Sefer Torah just like he may not sit on bones. The one says, Pshita, that's simple. Migara Sefer Torah Matzimot. Sefer Torah is no less than bones. Of course you can't treat it in such a despicable manner to sit on top of it. Ella, a sefer. It's going to sefer, which is the dispensation that allows you to sit on it. Like you can sit on the bones in cases of fear of Nachri and Listim. So too by a sefer Torah, one can sit on a sefer Torah in order to protect it. Now here again, there's a machlok to about how far this goes. 
Some of the Rishonim, as literally the Gemara seems to say here, says you can ride on top of a Sefer Torah. Normally, you're not allowed to ride on top of the Sefer Torah, but that's not only the thing that's true. Over here, by bones, you can place the bones, you can throw them over your shoulder, you can exactly sit on the donkey and have the bones riding on the back of the donkey right next to you. That is fine. By Sefer Torah, one may not sit on the same level as the Sefer Torah. If the Sefer Torah is laying on a bed, it's put down, you may not sit on that bed, because that's disrespect and inappropriate. So not only can you not sit on top of a Sefer Torah, you may not sit next to a Sefer Torah. So the question of this Breitah here is the dispensation for Sefer Torah to say simply, just like by bones, what you normally can't do, you can do over here. So normally you can't sit on top of the bones. So, so for over here you can. So too by Sefer Torah, which you normally can't do, which is sit on the same level as a Sefer Torah, we allow you to do here. So the Torah can be on the same level as you, on the donkey, on the bed, because of the dangers involved. In order to allow you to transport it, we say you can do that. Or... You could say the Breitah is saying that a Sefer Torah is exactly like Atzimot. And just like you can sit on top of the bones, you could sit on top of a Sefer Torah. And that turns out to be a Machokot Bishonim about how far we go to allow you to transport the Sefer Torah. Is the dispensation simply that in a case where there's danger, you're allowed to do what you normally can't do, which means put on the same level as you, but you can never ride on top of a Sefer Torah, because that would be considered beyond the pale. Or is the dispensation here that you may ride on top of a Sefer Torah in order to transport it, as it seems to be, the simple understanding of the Gemara. Okay, now we're moving on. The next piece in the Gemara. Amar Rachva, Amar Rav Yehuda, the other Gears is Amar Yehuda, Amar Rav. Kol ha-ro'eh ha-meit, ve'enu malaveyu, over mishum lo'eg l'rash, cherfoseyu. Someone who sees a mate being transported, going to his Gvura, then if he does not accompany the mate, it's as if he is, like we said before, lo'eg l'rash, one who makes fun of, pokes fun of the poor man, is blasphemes his creator. Again here, talking about a mate. If he does accompany him, what is his reward? The Pasuk says, So the literal meaning of the Pasuk is, The one who lends to a poor person, as if he is a creditor to God. God steps in to be the debtor in place of the Dao, in case of the poor person, because he can't repay it. So if you are lending the poor person, Hashem will step in and be the debtor. And you'll be a creditor to Hashem. Basically saying that Hashem will pay your kindness. But here the Gemara makes a play on the word of Malveh. Malveh can mean a creditor. Or Milaveh can be the one who accompanies. And that's the way the Gemara is reading the Mishnah. Milaveh, the one who accompanies the mate, is if he is Malveh Hashem. It's as if he is a creditor to God. Because God owes him now. God owes him a repayment. So the one who accompanies the mate... It now has great reward because he becomes the creditor of Hashem. Now, as far as accompanying the mate, if this is not someone he's obligated to, Mitabelalab, or there are plenty of people going by, and it's not something that he would engage in normally, over there, many of the Rishonim say that they should accompany the mate for Fidalat Amot. You should give respect to the mate. Giving respect to the mate is that you turn away from your personal needs or your uh, personal derech. And you walk with the mate for four amot to show respect for the mate, and that's sufficient. But you do not have to then accompany the mate all the way to the kurah, to the burial. Again, unless uh, there is some sort of connection or some sort of engagement between you and the mate, then you would have to go, or then there is an obligation to be the mate or be appropriately add to the procession of the mate. And that's what we say in the morning, that some of the things that have no shiur are havayat the mate, and cannot be in the mate. There is no limit as how many people can be the mate, the more the merrier, the better, the more respect. And therefore, we don't say that you're patur just because a lot of people are doing it. Even if a lot of people are doing it, you should still be malaveh, the mate. And that can be true in both cases. That's whether you just go to the Aramot 
or whether you continue on with the whole procession, just because there are a lot of people doing it already, that does not say that you do not have to engage with the mate. And the other pasuk that they quote is, Mechabdo The one who gives honor to God is the one who's the one who takes care of the poor person. The poor person being here is someone that is a mate. He's the poorest person. He can never repay anything. He can never give back the kindness that you gave to him. That's why it's called Chesed Shalemet. Therefore, the one who honors God is the one who's that takes care of this poor person. They're walking through the cemetery. And the tzitzit of Rabbi Yonatan were dragging along the floor. Roll up your tzitzit, tuck them in. So you won't say that they're coming to join us later on. Either blaspheme or maligim, making fun of us. This is the basic principle that we spoke about before of Loeg, Larosh, Cherf, Oseyu. One who pokes fun of the mate through doing or performing mitzvot in front of them. Cherifuseo blasphemes the creator. How do they do they really know what's going on? You're suggesting that we shouldn't do mitzvot in front of them because they know they are aware of us. Faktiv, doesn't the Pasuk in Kuala Tseva Meitim any Yodim Meuma? The Meitim, those who passed away already know nothing. Amalei, im karita loshanita. If you learned this once, you didn't go over it again. Im shanita, if you learned it twice, loshilashtai. You didn't read it a third time. If you read it a third time, you did not explain it or have it explained to you properly. Because those that are alive know that they will die. These are tzaddikim that even in death, they are called alive. It's not simply that while they're alive, they know they're going to die. But even after they die, they're still alive. The proof is from Uvnayahu ben Yehoyada ben Ish. Now, the Pasuk has a creed. The way we read it is Chayo. Ben one of the Giborim of David, was Ben Ish Chayo. He was a son of a great man, a great warrior, Rav Pe'alim, who was a man of action or many ma'asim. He comes to El from a place called Kavzel. Hu Ikach Ne Ariel, Moav. He killed two lion-hearted men from Moav. And he went down to the pit and slayed the lion in the pit on a Cold winter's day on a snowy day. Now the Gemara asks, the Gemara asks, Vehi ben Ishchai? says there, Ben Ishchai, Atu kuliyama b'nei meitei ninu? What, he's the only person that is alive? Ben Ishchai is the son of a man who is alive? As if to imply the rest of the world is dead. Ela ben Ishchai, shafilu mitato karu Ichai. Ben Ishchai means that even in his death, he was still called alive because he was a tzaddik. What the Gemara is playing on is the ktiv. In the Pasuk it's written, Uvnayahu ben Yehuda ben Ishchai. The reading, the Kree is, Uvnayahu ben Yehuda ben Ishchai, which makes more sense. But the ben Ishchai, the Gemara is medayek from that tiv, the way it's written in the Navi. That means that he was alive, implying that everybody else is dead. No, it just means that because he was a tzaddik, when everybody else is considered dead, he's still considered alive. So that's the proof that tzaddikim, even in their death, are classified as being alive. Now the Gemara continues to darshan that pasuk of Benayahu ben Yehuda, which is Rav Pialim Mikavtel. He was a man of great action from Kavtel. Shiriba Mikibetz Pialim the Torah that he made numerous and gathered together many people to learn Torah and toil in Torah. Who he got Shnei Ariel Moab Shlo Eniach Kamot Olo BeMikdash Rishon Velo Mikdash He left no one like him in the first Beit Hamikdash and the second Beit Hamikdash. Now they're using the play on Ariel which the Navi, in other places, says, Hoi Ariel, Hoi Ariel, which is a reference to the Beit HaMikdash. And so therefore, they're using the word Ariel here to mean Mikdash. Moav, they're saying it belongs to David and Shlomo, who are descendants of Ruta Moavia, who built the Mikdash. 
And it says, therefore, he was no Shnei Ariel, not two, but the years. So the, there was nobody left like him in the years of the Bodei Amikdash. So that's how they're dashing the Pasuk. He descended into the pit and slayed the lion on the winter's day. Some say that he cracked the ice. And he went into the ice-cold water to go to the mikveh. Rashi says, And he dipped in the mikveh in order to become tohor from his carry, in order to be able to learn Torah. And some say that he studied Torah Kohanim. The Midrash Halacha on Vayikra on a winter's day. And Tosfat explains that the Torah Kohanim is the most difficult, the hardest of the Midrash Halacha. That's why it's called the Ari. And the Yom HaShaleg and Betoch Habor in the pit is because it's on the middle Sefer. On Vayikra, which is the middle Sefer, and that's why it says Betoch Habor. So one of those two. That's the Joshua on this Pasuk. What's interesting is that there was a huge Sephardi Posek that lived in the 19th century. And one of his farim was known as the Ben Ishchai, Rabbi Yosef Chaim, the Baghdad. He named the Sefer Ben Ishchai, he's more famously known as the Ben Ishchai now. He based all of his farim, he wrote a number of farim, and he based the names of his farim on this pasuk of Benayahu Ben Yoyada. And that is, we said Ben Ishchai, that's his famous halachic Sefer. Rav Pialim is his Sefer Shut, his Sefer of Shalot and Chuvot. And he had a sefer interpreting the Gemara, which was known as Ben Yehoyada. There's a lure that he went to Eretz Yisrael. When visiting Eretz Yisrael, he visited the kever of Bnayahu Ben Yehoyada. And when he visited the kever of Bnayahu Ben Yehoyada, he davened over there. And in diving over there, many secrets of Kabbalah were revealed to him. And because of that, he felt a strong kesher towards Bnayahu Ben Yehoyada. And therefore, based on that, he used this pasuk about Ben Ben Yoda to name all his farim. That is Ben Yoda, Ben Ishchai, and Rav Pialim, which were the names of his most famous svarim. Now, the next line in the Gemara, which is the proof to the fact that the Meitim know what's going on, which is Vameitim enim yodim meuma, but those that are dead know nothing. Then we say before that's proof that they know nothing. Elu rishayim shibichayim kareim Meitim. That's the inter- proper interpretation here. It doesn't mean that the dead don't know what's going on. But rather that those that are alive sometimes are really dead. Just the Rishayim are considered dead even in their lifetime, Shinemar. Batah Halal Rashan, the Sea Israel, reference in Yechezkel to Tzidkiyahu. And it said, while Tzidkiyahu is still alive. And it says, Batah Halal, you are profane, Rasha, evil in the Sea Israel, the Prince of Israel. Now the Gemara is playing on Halal here, not to mean profane, but rather Halal to mean a corpse. The Navi is defined as a corpse, even when he's still alive, because he was a Rasha. And some say from here, You have witnesses that come, and they are going to cause this individual to be put to death. It says, on the testimony of two or three Edim, you matamate, he will be put to death. So the Gemara Darsh is saying that, Chayu, he's still alive, he's classified as a mate already. You matamate, the person will be dead. What do you mean he's dead? He's not alive right now. So you matamate is because even while he's alive, he's still considered to be a mate. So from this, he proves that the pasuk that he quoted about that the metim know nothing is not a pasuk that's really saying that they know nothing, but rather saying that Rishayim in their lifetime are considered dead, and then the other half of that pasuk is that Tzadikim in their death are alive. But it's not referencing or dealing with our issue. If you properly interpret the pasuk, the pasuk is not pashtut the pasuk, which is that metim have no idea what's going on, but rather dealing with Tzadikim and Rishayim. And therefore he was indicating to Rabbi Yonatan, that the Meitim do know what's going on, and therefore you should put away your tzitzit. Because of this issue of lo'ig l'rash, chef ma'asehu. Tosfot over here deals with that issue of tzitzit, 
and discusses the minhag of putting tzitzit on the mate. They had a minhag that they put tzitzit on the mate, and the question is, why? Or, there was a minhag not to put tzitzit on the mate, or, like our minhag today, is to put tzitzit on the mate, and then to post-sell them, to cut them in a way that they are not kosher tzitzit anymore. And the question was, why to all of these? What happened to this issue of Loig Larosh, Heref, Osehu? And so, Tosafot discusses here, as well as we saw this together in Nidam, in Achot, and many other places, that the Rabbeinu Tam brings from the Chachmei Lutir, that Tzitzit were unique. That Tzitzit is a unique mitzvah where there's a problem with Loig Larosh, Heref, Osehu, because Tzitzit are shakul connected kol mitzvot. They are equal to all the mitzvot. We say, You see the, the Tzitzit? You remember all the mitzvot Hashem. And therefore, it's especially offensive to the mate to wear tzitzit in front of them. And that is why, remember, we don't bury the mate team with tzitzit on them, because it would be a testimony that they kept all the mitzvot, which is not true. Some of them didn't even wear tzitzit in their lifetime, and now you're putting them on when they're mate team. And Dozvat rejects the possibility of only putting tzitzit on those that kept the mitzvot and not on the others, because we saw at the end of Nidah, we don't embarrass people that way. That's an embarrassment, because then people will know whether they kept the mitzvot, didn't keep the mitzvot, so we have one blanket minog for everyone. And since we can't put tzitzit on everybody, or maybe in their day, in the time of the Gemara, they did put tzitzit on because they were mekayim all the mitzvot. But we who do not mekayim or not mekayim all the mitzvot, or do not wear tzitzit all the time, therefore we do not bury with tzitzit. Tosafot rejects this explanation of Rebbeinu because we just saw before that the Gemara invokes loyeg the Rosh even with learning Torah and other items, that it's not unique to tzitzit. It's something that is involved with all the mitzvot. And number two is that even people who are alive wear tzitzit, even though they're not mikayim all the mitzvot. So that can't be the reason. Tosvot in the conclusion says the reason is that in Masechet Smachot, there is a line where Abba Shaul says to his children, don't bury me with my tzitzit on. And even though our Gemara seems to indicate, the Talmud Bavli seems to indicate that a person should be buried with tzitzit on, sometimes we forego a din in our Gemara, and we take from the Masechtot Ketanot, like Masechtot Smachot, and we pass them like them. That's what brings other examples of that, including when, what we lay on a fast day. On a fast day, we lay in Vayachel, and that is brought to Masechtot Sofrim, whereas our Gemara in Masechtot Megillah says that you lay in Brachot V'Klalot, you lay in the Tochacha. So despite the fact that our Gemara says you lay in Tochacha, we follow that which is found in Masechtot Sofrim. Sometimes we pass in like those Masechtot Ketanot, and that's the reason that we don't put Tzitzit in our Metim. But it's an interesting discussion about this issue of Loig Larash Kherifoseyu. How broad is it? How broad does it cast its net? Is it only unique to particular mitzvot? Maybe it's only with learning Torah, tzitzit, which are overarching mitzvot. Or does it apply to all mitzvot? Like we saw before with regards to eating or brachot, that may be there. There's also an issue of Loig Larash Kherifoseyu. I'll continue in the Gemara now. Bnei Rabbi Chia, Nafik the Kiryata. Ben-Kharibah went out to the, the city or the fields in order to deal with their possessions. They had to go to work. And as they went out to work, they started to forget the Torah Shabbat that they had learned. And they were trying the difficult, they had great difficulty, and they were in pain because they were trying to remember it. They didn't want to lose their learning. Our father knows about this pain. How do you know that he knows about this? Doesn't it say, that his children will be burdened, he won't know about it. So meaning that the mate has no idea what's going on with his children. Is that true? He doesn't know. Doesn't say, 
His flesh on him, he will be in pain. And his nefesh mourns over it. Meaning that as the body disintegrates in the ground, the mate has great pain from this. The decay or decomposition of the mate is as bad for the mate like a needle going into a live person. They answered, They know about their own pain, but it doesn't mean that they're aware of other people's pain. Is that really true about Tanya? I have an unbelievable story here. There was this righteous individual. He gave an ani who was desperate for money. He gave him staka on Erev Rosh Hashanah in a famine, a year of famine where nobody really could afford to do such. And his wife was so angry that he gave the money. They got into a horrible argument. And therefore he left his house. And he slept in the cemetery that night because... He could not stay in his house because of his wife's anger. He heard two female spirits speaking to each other. One of the spirits said to the other one, Let us go and float through the world. Let's go here from behind the pargod. The pargod is the screen that separates between a kosh baruchu and those that are be'olam abba. So let's go here. What's the Gzeirot for the upcoming year? Because it was Erev Rosh Hashanah. And Erev Rosh Hashanah, Olam Nido. So let's go here. What's going to happen? Amrala Chaverta, Eni Yecholla. I can't go. Shanik Vurab and Chatzelet Shel Kanim. I'm buried in a mat of reeds. Elechiat, you go. Mashat Shomat, Imrili. Whatever you hear, you come and tell me. Halchai, Bishata. She went and floated away. Ba'a, and then she returned. Amrala Chaverta. Chaverti, Mashamat. The one who couldn't go said, what did you hear? From behind the screen from HaKadosh Baruch Anybody who plants in the first part of the Sinizin, the Riviot are the rains that come. And the, as the Gemara Tanit explains that there are three rains, the Riviyah, Rishonah, and Shlishit. And those were different rains and different planting seasons and they have relevance in Allah. It says anybody who plants in that first part of the rainy season, there is going to be hail that comes down and will destroy it. So This individual who got that information, he had le- he slept in the cemetery and got the information, he went and he planted later than everybody else in the Riviashnia, in the second period, the second time of the rain. Everybody else's produce got destroyed because they had planted early and it had hardened. And since it had hardened already, the Barad destroyed it. On the other hand, he who planted late, his stuff was still soft and therefore... The Barad, the hail did not affect it. He was so successful uh, with his sleeping in the cemetery that year, he went and did it again the next following year. He heard those two girls speaking to each other, two spirits speaking to us. Same thing again. She says, let us go here. What is going to happen to the world in the following year? Didn't I already tell you? I can't go. I'm buried in a mat of reeds. You go by yourself here, and then you'll come and return and tell me. She went, floated along, listened, and came back. Her friend said, who couldn't go, What information did you get this time? Anyway, plants later this year, a strong wind is going to come and destroy it. This individual went and planted early this year. And this is a known phenomenon that when people experience something, they assign a higher probability to that experience happening again. Even though the likelihood has not changed, but if you've just experienced it or just seen it, then you will raise the likelihood or probability of such a thing happening. For instance, if you pass an accident on the highway, then a person will assign a higher probability to an accident happening because they've just witnessed it. Since in the previous year, 
they had this problem with hail, which is an unusual occurrence, and that happened to anybody who planted early. So what's going to happen is the following year, everybody's going to plant late because they assign a high probability of something happening to them if they plant early. So that's exactly what happened. He plants early this year, and everybody else planted late. So kol ha'olam kulo nishdaf. Everybody else's who was not strong, their grain, because they planted late, was blown away and ruined by the shidafom. Shlolo nishdaf. And his was not affected by it. Because his already was strong because he had planted early. So Amr lo yishtol. So his wife caught on to this. What's going on here? Last year, you planted late and you were protected. And this year, you did just the opposite. So He tells over to her all the story. He gives her all the information. That a fight or quarrel broke out between this man's wife and the mother of that girl that was buried there. The girl that was buried in the mat of in this fight, she said some nasty words and says, let me go show you your daughter. She grew up in Mechatzele Shilkanim. Because she's buried in a mat of reeds, the Shana Acheret. Halach v'lan b'veit ha'kvarot. The following year, he went again to get the information, went and laid down in the cemetery. Shama utan v'uchot shim saprut zumzu. Once again, he hears these two spirits speaking to each other. Amra, laverti, bo'i b'nashud b'olam. Let us go and float along. Nishma achreya pargud. Ma'parnod b'ali olam, like every year. Amra la, laverti, eni chani, leave me alone. Dvarim shibini v'nach, var nishmu b'nachayim. Our information is already getting leaked out. Alma yadeh. So it sounds like they knew about this information because she says the people are alive already heard about this. So Dilma inish acharino. Maybe somebody else passed away and brought them the information. So maybe they don't know anything. They're not aware. Just somebody passed away and told them that there had been this fight and this discussion had gone on or this quarrel had taken place and they brought them the information. He used to deposit his money with his hostess. When he went back and forth to learn by the base medrash. While he was away, she passed away. Now he didn't know where his money was because he had given to her as a deposit. He didn't know where to find the money. So he went after her to the cemetery. Amrlai spoke to her, Where is the money that I gave you? Go take it out from under the hinge of the door. In this location. And tell my mother to send for me my comb. And my makeup, Bahadi Panita with so and so, the Atil Machar, because she's going to join me up here tomorrow. So Rashi says that it was a Lashon of Agmat Nefesh, she was a young girl, had passed away, and therefore she had said, send my comb and my makeup, along with so and so who's coming tomorrow. Almayade. Sounds like the Maitim know what's going on, because she knew this other woman was going to show up tomorrow. Where it says, Dilma Doma Kadim Umachrizduhu. Doma, according to Rashi, is a Malach, who is Mumuneh, on those that are going to pass away. And so maybe they make an announcement. Before someone's coming up, they make an announcement. So she heard the announcement that there's going to be someone joining them, not that she had information about those that were alive. For Shmuel's father, who was in that transitional generation between the Tanaim and the Amuraim, he had the monies of orphans that were entrusted with him that he took care of. When he passed away, Shmuel wasn't near him. So have So since Shmuel had no idea where the money was that his father kept, he had no way to return it to the Yatomim. So people start to say about Shmuel that he was a person who enjoyed or stole from the orphans 
and he was taking the benefit of their money. So he went to search for his father in the cemetery. So he speaks to all those that are found there in the cemetery. I'm looking for Abba, because his father was Abba. We have lots of Abbas over here. I'm looking for Abba, the son of Abba. We have lots of Abba-Rabbas here. I'm looking for Abba-Rabba, the father of Shmuel. Where is he? Go up to the heavenly base Medjish. When he got up there, he saw his friend, his peer, Levi, who was sitting outside the Beit Medjish. So it's the Levi, why are you outside the Beit Medrash? My time alo salakt. Why don't you enter in the Beit Midrash? Amalei, Damalei, they said to me, All those years that I didn't go into the Beit Midrash, Rabbi Efes, and I caused him to be despondent, hurt, take offense to the fact that I wasn't willing to go into the Beit Medrash when he was the Rosh Hashiva, when he was Darshani. For all those years, you will not be able to enter into the heavenly Beit Midrash. In the meantime, his father shows up. So his father was both crying and smiling. Why are you crying? So that's what we say in Kaddish, which means Agala means quickly, in our time. You're coming very soon. So he was going to pass away very soon. My time, Achichat. Why are you smiling? Because you're going to be very significant in this world. If I'm important in this world, make sure that Levi can enter the Beit Midrash. That's what happened. They took Levi into the Beit Midrash. Says, where are the monies to have the atonement? Go look on the base of the mill, and that's where they are. Elive to die. There are three bags or three layers of money there. The top layer and the bottom layer, didan, are ours. Umitai, the atme, and the middle layer belongs to the atomium, to the orphans. my time Why did you store it that way? If they were stolen, they would have taken the top layer, which would have been ours. If they decayed, or it went bad there, and we're eaten up by being in the ground, the bottom layer was ours, so it would be ours that got ruined. So he protected the Yitomim in the middle. So when it says, again, you see that they know. The Tosavot points out over here, that fact that Abu Shmuel knew that Shmuel was coming, was information that he couldn't get, like the case before. In the case before, we said, oh, they announced that she was coming. That's because she was coming next day, immediately. Over here, Abu Shmuel said, you're coming soon. Coming soon, that means that he had information about the future. Others say that because he had the information that Shmuel was going to be chashuv in that world, that was also information that they know about who's coming and what is the standing of that individual when they come up here. So you see that they have this information. Since Shmuel was a very important person, they announced early on, clear out space for him. Meaning because of the stature and the status of Shmuel, the announcement came much earlier because they had to be in preparation for a Shmuel that was coming up. Not that everybody gets that type of announcement or preparation, but because of Shmuel, that was the case. So again, you don't have any proof. And the Gemara says now, Rav Rabinotan Hadarbe. Rabinotan who challenged Rabbi Chia when Rabbi Chia said, told him to put away tzitzit and says, the Metim don't know anything. Rabinotan also changed his mind and said they do. How do you know that the Metim speak to each other? Shinamar. Hashem speaks to Moshe at the end of his life, and he says to him, This is the land that I promised to the forefathers, our patriarchs, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Lemor, saying, My Lemor, 
What does it mean, Lamor? Amar Kodesh Baruch Hu Moshe Leich Amor Lehem Avram Yitzchak VeYaakov. Go and tell Avram Yitzchak VeYaakov Shuvash Nishbati Lehem Kvar Ki Yamti Al Bnechem. Promise I made to you. I have now fulfilled with your children. It says Vesachadach Adlo Yodei. If you think the Meitim have no awareness. When he tells them this information, what's the difference? They don't know what's going on anyway. Oh, they knew what's going on. Why does he have to tell them? If they know what's going on anyway, they would know that their children are already getting the promise fulfilled. It says, In order that they will give an ashkoyach to Moshe, they'll thank you, Moshe Rabbeinu, for bringing them this good news and these good tidings. So Hashem empowered him or gave him information that would help him in terms of presenting it to the Avot. Okay, we'll stop over here.